Nothing drives a company like pent-up demand that isn't being met by the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, all the time, like right now, today, there are huge gushers sitting there untapped. Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, the podcast that brings you practical advice, lessons, and stories from senior leaders and thought leaders from around the world. The Strategy and Leadership Podcast is brought to you by SME Strategy, working with organizations around the world to create and implement their strategic plans. To learn more, visit smestrategy.net. And now, your host, Anthony Taylor. Hey there, folks. Welcome to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Steve Hoffman, also known as Captain Hoff, who is the CEO of Founderspace and author of Surviving a Startup. Captain, how are you today? Anthony, it's fantastic to be here. I'm so excited. I was like, hey, that one of the cool parts of, you know, interviewing cool people is I get to see their bios and I'm like, dang, this guy does like cool stuff, talks to cool people at a high level. So I'm excited for our conversation, but why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about, see the adventures of the captain. I can go, I can use this in so many different ways. Well, we, my company, Founder Space, we've been around over a decade. Prior to doing Founder Space, I did three venture-funded startups myself in Silicon Valley. So I've been in the trenches. I know what it's like. And as Founder Space, we work with entrepreneurs all over the world, helping them grow their businesses. So we're a startup accelerator. We bring them in. We introduce them to venture capital. We help them with their go-to-market strategy, and we grow those businesses. And I see a lot of problems. So I personally... Been in startups, experienced you know those problems myself, but now I can see it through all these different lenses from all these different industries. It really helps me to understand uh, what entrepreneurs should do, what they shouldn't do, where I screwed up, where other people are screwing up. Yeah, I got that. One of the things that I always tell people when, and I'm definitely not a startup advisor, but I say the number one thing you need to focus on product market fit. Like don't do anything else until you know that your product is right. What is your number one piece of advice for startup founders, uh, ones that are looking to scale or get venture? Yeah. See, this is a big problem in Silicon Valley and everywhere. Uh, startup founders, one of their biggest mistakes they make is they try to scale too early. Mm. They try, they get, and scaling isn't just raising venture capital. That's one way. As soon as you get money, the venture people pressure you to grow. And if you haven't, like you said, figured out who your customer is, exactly why they need your product and exactly what your product is, you're going to be going in the wrong direction. And you're probably going to go off a cliff when that money runs out. And that kills startup after startup. You know, most, most startups, when they are, scaling, and I say have a problem scaling too early, they're doing things, basic things that you would think are smart, but actually can kill you. So one of the things founders do is they hire sales. They bring on a board a bunch of salespeople that we built. We're building this product. We want to get it into the marketplace. And even when they don't have a lot of money, the salespeople might join on equity. What happens is instead of the that founding team paying really close attention to every detail of the product and working with just a few customers very deeply, they start to spread out. They start to get lots of feedback through their sales team. The sales team, sales team, you know, usually doesn't understand the product like they do. Giving them feedback, they start making the wrong changes and it ruins their product. Uh, of course, if you're a startup, and you start to acquire customers, like literally market to them, but you haven't really figured out your product, again, you can mask problems because 
there's a lot of startups that they keep bringing in new customers, but the old customers aren't totally satisfied. The existing customers aren't totally satisfied with their products. So those customers, you know, just end up going away and they can run a long time in this way and make a lot of wrong decisions. Mm. I say early on, like uh, my experience personally, and this is a mistake I made. I, I personally screwed up in this area. One, I didn't pay enough attention to my team. I mean, not paying attention, but I mean, paying attention to selecting the right people. So I took who I thought was available. And of course, you're in a rush. You want to get going. This is what you do. And so you hire, oh, this engineer is available. They're pretty good. This uh, mar- you know, marketing person, they're pretty good. I will tell you right now, if you're going to succeed as an early stage company that that wants to grow, do not hire pretty good people. It's the kiss of death because it's exceptionally hard to get a, a company. If it's a small business and it's just you and you're kind of going along, it you know it doesn't matter. But if you want to grow that business, it's it's extremely competitive. And we have like major competitors out there. They, if you don't have the best people, the fact is you're not going to build the best product. You're not going to figure out what your customers really want. You're not going to make the right decisions. So that first decision I made of taking who was available and who was pretty good really crippled me. And then I made a a second mistake. Uh, And this, this was even worse than the first mistake. I didn't get rid of those people. Like I started to realize they weren't really, you know, top of the line. They weren't really like the best engineers. They were adequate. They weren't really the best designers, thinkers. They were okay. I didn't get rid of them. And the longer I went with them, the harder it got. Like, you know, I learned that if somebody isn't, if you, if you don't have like excellent people and you identify it right away, you just have to get rid of them no matter how painful it is, even if it means starting over on your product. And this is something a lot of entrepreneurs, again, make big mistakes, right? Everybody thinks it's, you know, pivoting. I don't want to, I don't want to give up what I'm trying now. Pivoting is when you change direction, change ideas, change your product. Honestly, the startups that are much more likely to succeed pivot more often before they hit it. So they might pivot three, four, five times before they hit it. Those startups are much more likely to succeed than startups that pivot one, two, or no times. They just stick with what they're doing. I stuck with what I was doing. I stuck with the team. This is an early startup. I stuck with what I was doing, and it wasn't working. And eventually, I did pivot, but it was too late, like we had gone too far. So l- let me just to, to kind of backtrack. I appreciate that because obviously it's important to foster talent and it's this in like in super competitive space. Yeah. How did you or how have you seen others balance that venture mindset of grow fast kind of at all costs because they're incentivized to grow their investment and get out and like flip it. Whereas as a CEO, like a bootstrap CEO or many of the companies that I work with, you know, they're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, hundred million dollars. And a lot of it is bootstrap. They don't have that venture investment. And I think that their mindset differs. So how have you seen the tug of war play out between making sure we get the product right and growing fast at all costs? I am a venture investor now, so I've been on both sides of the table. And I will tell you, do not worry about growing fast. Do not worry about scaling up. Those will take care of themselves if your product or service is really hitting it. And so laser focus, 
on your core customers, your core customers, get a few of these customers in early, go uh, get inside their head, really understand why they're using your product. Is it random? Did they just happen to stumble upon you? That doesn't teach you much. You want to get people who could and understand the market and might be using any of your competitors' products. Why would they come to you? What is it that they need that they aren't getting elsewhere? Because honestly, if you don't give them something, some value, I call this extreme value, not a little value, not incremental value, but extreme value that they cannot get other places, then you are never going to scale fast. <laughs> like mm. you, You'll be a small business. You might be a medium-sized business, but you're never going to be one of these businesses that goes through the roof and eventually goes public or gets acquired for huge sums of money. So you never need venture money. So the honest answer is most startups out there, most entrepreneurs aren't even qualified to raise venture capital because they don't have that. They have a good business and they might have great people and they might be delivering superior product or service. But there's no, there's not enough differentiation between what they're offering and what many other people are offering to grow that company uh, at an exponential rate to justify venture capital. Yeah. So if we like go down the venture capital path, like obviously it's we're recording this August 2022. The world's a mess in more ways than one. Uh, From my understanding, like the money isn't as cheap as it was before. Uh, maybe people are a little bit gun shy. You're seeing a lot of tuck, uh, which again, I'm sorry. Uh, people are shy about making things. They got to watch how you say things. There's tech companies laying off because they grew to scale. What's the street saying in the Bay about the future of markets, the future of investments, the future of tech? Is this an adjustment similar to the housing market is adjusting or is this a blip or, you know, what are you seeing from your perspective? It's not a blip. It is an adjustment. But it will go, it will continue to grow in the future. So there's no, no doubt about it. So in, in the venture community that I'm immersed in, uh, we're all bullish. We're not bullish in the, the short term. There's going to be some pain. The word on the street is if you're a startup founder out there, you're raising capital, cut your valuation by 50%, like 50% of what it would have been like a couple of years ago. So you have to have a, a, uh, shift in the in the way you think because markets change. The markets have changed. People are becoming much more conservative. They're holding back right now because there's uncertainty in the marketplace. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. It could rebound pretty quickly. It may not. You know, there's inflation looming. Lots of other things happening. So you know, uh, threats of recession. So when that happens, people just they hold back a little. Yet, I have a caveat. There is a lot of venture money that's already been raised. That money needs to find a home. Like mm. as a venture capitalist, a lot of people don't understand this. Venture capitalists are under pressure to invest. When you tell your LPs, the people who invest in your venture capital fund, you lay out a plan. It's usually a 10, maybe 12 year plan. Uh, but most of that money has to be invested in the first three years. So if you raise money during the good times, you're sitting now it's much harder to raise money for a venture fund. It's gotten harder, but uh, you're sitting on a lot of cash and you need to deploy that. So that money's still going to go somewhere and you're going to see. Uh, but so it's kind of a give and take. And that's why the, the, the market for startups, it isn't, hasn't collapsed. I mean, you can still go out there and raise money. People are just pushing down the valuations, even though the money's there. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, from my perspective, like I'm like a bootstrap guy, uh, perhaps to a detriment where I'm like, hey, like build it slowly, make sure you do the right thing, focus on the fundamentals, you should be okay. So my hope is that more investments would be done in, in the companies with the good fundamentals that solve a real life problem and then provide that extreme value that you're looking for uh, versus, you know, like anybody can get venture money. So the, hopefully the discernment will be a good thing. And then obviously people have to get their money into the market to, to make it move. So I'd love your perspective because that balance between companies that have grown like fast and, you know, some can go from like a hundred, 200, $300 million, like light, light speed. And then there's some that are, you know, they're kind of traditional industries, you know, uh, you know, they're at 30, 40, 50 million. They've been around for a long time. They're not a startup anymore. How can those industries take advantage of new markets? How can they start looking at ways to create extreme value to fuel that next level of growth? If my question landed how I wanted it to. Yes. And, and this is really important. I wrote another book. I wrote Surviving a Startup, but I also wrote another book about innovation. It's called mm -hmm. Make Elephants Fly. It's all about how companies, mid-sized companies, large companies innovate and think like entrepreneurs. So like in your organization. So if you have, let's say, a $50 million business, a $20 million business, a $10 million business, you're doing fine, you're making money, you're not seeing exceptional growth, but you're, the, you're there and you're profitable and you want to reinvest this money and you want to look to the future. Like, where can we grow? There's one thing really smart people do, really smart business leaders do, and that is they don't just start fooling around with products and making, oh, we'll try making this product for our customers. Our customers may like it, you know, or they, they seems like they need it. They don't do that because honestly, and, and just making your existing product or service better is, is great, but it's, it's, if it's a crowded market, it's not going to change that much. Right. Mm. You're going to make it incrementally better. It's going to make you incrementally more competitive. It won't really fundamentally change the landscape. How you can fundamentally change the landscape is to do what I call demand hunting. Don't say, Oh, we're, we're going to just get some engineers and build stuff. Don't say, uh, we're, we're just going to, you know, go out into the marketplace and put stuff out there or amp up our marketing. Instead, what you do is you, you are like an oil wildcatter. Like every entrepreneur is like an oiled wildcatter. And you go out into virgin territory. And what you do is you start sinking wells. Now, these wells, what you're hoping to do as an oil wildcatter is hit a gusher. And in the entrepreneurial world, that gusher is demand. Nothing drives a company like pent up demand that isn't being met by the marketplace. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you all the time, like right now, today, there are huge gushers sitting there untapped. People just haven't tapped them yet because markets are shifting. You know, economies are changing. Needs are changing all the time. And these pent up demands, even though the people who have that demand might not know it because they don't even know it's possible. They don't, you know, that they could do that. But if you look at new business models, uh, innovating on your business model, innovating on design, innovating on technology, taking technology, the most important one, and actually change how people do things then you can unlock that demand. So really smart entrepreneurs first, the first thing they do is say, where is this demand? Like, what are my customers or what is this customer segment that I really am interested in? What's that thing that's causing them so much pain? What's that thing that, you know, they might not even know they need, but they actually, like when they see it, they will need it. You need to figure that out at a very low cost. And I call this kind of the innovation loop. You go out there, 
rapidly, you design experiments to uncover demand. So you go out there with a concept that you think you're hearing from people. If you're in the restaurant business, you're like listening to all the owners of restaurants, the different, you know, people and the, the chefs and all these different people. And you are uh, like a fly on the wall. You are going in and talking to them, listening to about their problem stuff. You're looking for, wow, what are their extreme pain points that I can start to solve? If you start to hear, see patterns, then you go and you design an experiment to test it. Let's find out if they really need it. Like I've had, like with my own startup and with, I've had entrepreneurs and they come to me, you know, they ask me, Captain Hoff, do you like my product or do you like my service? And you know what I tell them? I, I say, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not your customer. Mm-hmm. Go out, ask a hundred of your exact target customers. First, you have to know exactly who they are. Go out there and get the reaction. A lot of times they'll go out and they'll come back and they say, I talked to a lot of customers, all of them said, look, this is really nice. Come back when it's ready and we'll try it out. You know what I tell them then? I say, you will fail. (laughs) You've already told me you will fail. And they're like, what? Why why is that? Why? They all said they liked it and they would try it out. I go, if there was that that demand, that pent up demand, really pushing that gusher, they wouldn't say that. Mm. They would tell you, Oh my God, I need that now. How can I get it? What can I do to get that now? Can I, can I join a beta? Can, can I invest in this? This is a, you know, when they hear it, they might not know it before you tell them, but when they hear it, they will have that reaction. And if you don't get that reaction, at least from a subset of your customers and understand exactly why they're saying that, people don't buy nice to have products. Like we don't, like we have a lot of products. There's so much inertia. We're not going to switch what spreadsheet we're using because a new spreadsheet comes out that's better than Google Docs or Excel. We're, 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 you know, when you download an app on your phone, you look at it, oh, that's really nice. A week later, delete. (laughs) We don't need nice apps. We don't need nice things. We need great things, like things that are absolutely like, you know, they blow us away. So if you don't meet that threshold, just move on. Like you're, and so many people get this confirmation that they think is real. Then I call it the nice to have confirmation. Well, nice to have is the kiss of death. Hmm. I say, I guess the same with employees, the same with, uh, with products is like doing okay is not good enough. It's, it's gotta never, be that not for being an entrepreneur. Like if you just, if you have an established company, it's already raking in the money. You can do okay and get by. But uh, being an entrepreneur, if you want to grow like crazy, like if, if you just, have a small business, a lot of times you can get by with okay, but not if you're going to grow like crazy. Well, it's interesting that you you mentioned that. And it's uh, what I was met with or thinking about is like when you look at those like oil wells, it's like the hubris of a successful business, successful air quotes, like, of course, they're successful on. So what would motivate them to go looking for those other opportunities to talk to other customers and to potentially change and disrupt themselves in that versus an entrepreneur who really has nothing to lose and everything to gain. And they don't have their like horse, like they're not hooked up to a horse or whatever. They're saying, okay, I need to do it this way, but some version of this way, like a change. Whereas like entrepreneurs can say, it's new, it's new, it's new, it's new. They're not attached to something. And I think that there's a great freedom in being able to do whatever such that it solves a big problem. Is that what you're seeing as well in entrepreneurs? Yeah. So entrepreneurs, uh, larger companies tend to get complacent. 
and they tend to get this, they're focused, right? They have their business, they have their PL, they have all the things that their deliverables, all the things they need to do. It's very hard to unfocus from these things. They are demanding your attention. They're real. And then there's some pie in the sky new thing that you could be doing that could bring in a lot of money. But what they found, they they've done studies, like Stanford and Berkeley did studies, and they have found that unless you have a team fully committed to doing this process, this, what I call the innovation loop, going out the discovery process and the validation process for, for discovering demand and building products. Unless you have a team that's fully committed, usually nothing happens. Mm -hmm. So if you're a mid-sized organization or even a smaller company and you want to innovate, you literally, if you're big enough, you break off a team and you put them on that. Like you just say, this is your team and I want I, you know, I want you guys to go out and, and discover this extreme pent up demand that we can tap into when you could prove to me that it's there, then we'll build it, you know, and it doesn't, you don't have to have spend huge amounts of money. In fact, the, the most startups, most startups and most of, they actually get too much money at the beginning. They're not mm. scrappy enough. They're not because you can do so much if you have a dedicated team with just their time and their brains going because this demand hunting. A lot of it isn't capital intensive. It's yeah. actually a uh, brain and time intensive. That's what it requires. Yeah. No, it's interesting. It's so different. Again, going back to that, like, hey, as an entrepreneur where you did everything and as you build your leadership team around you, then you do less and you manage more. And I think sometimes you lose that edge, like of that scrappiness to be like really committed to the customer, really committed to, you know, delivering the value. And conversely, and thinking about it night and day, night and day. That is like where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, oh my God, I could have done this better. Or, oh yeah. my God, that's what our customer's really thinking. Yeah, well, that's what I've seen out of like the great CEOs are relentlessly focused on driving customer value and focused on current and future needs of their customers and things that like they don't even know exist. Like if, the one that brought to mind, hopefully it's not cliche, but even if it is like Uber, like he's like, oh yeah, we have taxis. Why do we need Ubers? But there was such an annoyance with the taxi system that the pent up demand for something better, more efficient, more effective was great. Uh, you look at like AWS, which was probably created in that like 20% time like there are huge, huge things like people need this and no one is meeting that demand. And I think what you mentioned earlier was the shifts in the trends, the shifts in the world are always creating those opportunities and those pent up demands, like ahead of consumers, even knowing mm -hmm. what they are. And the savvy companies, the savvy leaders, the savvy teams are the ones who are out on the hunt for that. So for you as a leader, for you as a CEO, for you as an advisor, for you as an investor, what is challenging you now? What are you working on professionally, personally to support your own growth and development? And that's how we'll finish up today. Okay. So, well, the world has been opening back up recently, which is great because I love to travel. So I, I was in Europe uh, last month. I came back this month. And I, when I was in Europe last month, I looked at a hundred startups, a hundred companies. I found just one that I wanted to bring into the US market. So that's usually the ratio. And this one is amazing. Like I'd rather put all my time into a fewer excellent startups than spread it out over a lot and think you think you have a lot of bets and they never pay off. It's better mm -hmm. to just pick those bets that you have absolute conviction on. So I did that. I'm bringing them in. I will be going back to Europe 
uh, this time to Austria to work with the government and look at their startups. Then I head to South Korea to look at their startups. And then I head to Kazakhstan to look at their startups. And my my mission is there are gems all over the world of these entrepreneurs, and they don't all have access to capital. They don't all have the ability to, you know, to reach the American market. I bring them in. So I also work with U.S. startups. So like any of your listeners out there who have, you know, really solid teams, like I said, have identified real demand out there, they can come to me and I'm more than happy to give them feedback. This is what I love doing. I can tell. That's awesome. Uh, so, wow. Where can our listeners connect with you or can they learn more about what you're doing or can they find out about Founderspace? So they can find out me just... First of all, you can find me on any of the social networks. Just search for Captain Hoff or Founderspace. I'm on LinkedIn. That's a great one. You can also come to founderspace.com, Founderspace, and you can watch my videos, get my books. You know, we have tons of material up there about uh, raising capital, investing, growing, innovating. And I, we respond to every email. So if you reach out to us. Awesome. Captain, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time with me today. I really appreciate your perspective on venture-backed companies and how the future of you know the, the environment and the ecosystem is going to look. I think it's great for innovation. It's great for new opportunities. And I'm uh, happy to see that you're at the helm of it. Thank you, Anthony. It's been wonderful. Folks, my guest today, Steve Hoffman, also known as Captain Hoff, who is the CEO of Founderspace and the author of Surviving a Startup, Appreciate you being here. I hope that out of today's episode, whether you're a new CEO looking to create, you know, the next big thing, looking at those untapped pent up demands, or you're an existing CEO who's saying, hey, how can I continue uh, the growth of our company? You know, maybe that is finding that new pent up demand. And if you are, maybe you're putting a small tiger team towards it. I think they're great opportunities to push that growth faster. That's what'll move your business forward. That'll make society move better. And uh, I think it's better for everybody. So once again, my name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Captain Hoff, thank you again. I appreciate y'all, I appreciate y'all for watching. And I'll see you next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. We post twice a week, so you can count on us for your weekly source of content to help you grow and expand as a leader. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider giving us a review. We read every single one, and it helps us make a better show for you, the listener. Also, it helps more people find the show, which means we can help as many people as possible. We appreciate you listening and following along, and we hope you have a wonderful rest of the day. And as Anthony says, until next time.